Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I will be taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely do call us or text us. Uh, I want to say welcome to those of you who are listening uh, up and down the front range in Colorado on Grace FM. also want to say hi to those who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. I also want to say hi to everyone who's listening online. I know there's so many who do uh, outside of that radio signal range, uh, whether it's in other parts of the states uh, mentioned before or whether it's uh, in other countries around the world. Welcome to the program. We're glad you tuned in today. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life, a prayer request. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, that text number is 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We are a Calvary Chapel affiliated church, and we meet in downtown Longmont. And um, um, our church meets in the St. Vrain Memorial Building. So those of you who are familiar with Longmont, you might know where that is. It's right downtown on 700 Longs Peak Avenue, which is right on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman streets right down downtown Longmont and uh, our church meets there at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings we'd love to have you join us or check us out if you live in the Longmont area or if you are in one of the surrounding communities whether that's um, Lyons or Berthoud, Platteville even, Mead, uh, Frederick, Firestone, Decono, that whole Carbon Valley area or even down to Lafayette and Erie and even into North Boulder wherever you're at if you're close by we'd love to have you come visit us sometime and you can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Our church, uh, also we have some airtime here on Calvary, uh, well, on Grace FM. So if you are a regular listener to Grace FM, you might hear us weekdays at 2.30 p.m. We have a half-hour show, which are sermons from uh, from Whitefields that are cut for the radio. And we're also on at Sunday, on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So hopefully... You're going to church at that time, but if you're not, if for some reason, you can tune in at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and you can hear our program there as well. Uh, today, I am actually up in Breckenridge. We have some awesome technology, which allows me to broadcast to you live from Breckenridge, Colorado. I am up here with my family for the week, just spending some time together, and I'm able to host the show from up here. I have some friends up here. Uh, one of my friends is the pastor of a Calvary Chapel church up here called uh, Calvary Great Divide or Great Divide Calvary. His name's Jimmy Humphreys. And um, 
So Jimmy hooked me up with a great brother from his church named Lee, and so I'm at Lee's place right now, and Lee has got me all set up so that I can host the show for you. He's got me some coffee and refreshments. Just awesome uh, Christian brother taking care of me today, and I really appreciate it, and I'm able to be on, on the air with you today. Um, I've actually got Jimmy Humphreys, the pastor of the Calvary Chapel here. I've got him on the line, so let's go ahead and connect Jimmy on line one. And uh, hey, Jimmy, are you here? Yeah, hey, Nick, how's it going? Going great, Jimmy. Hey, thanks for calling in. And, uh, oh, you know, yeah. I thought since I'm up here in Breckenridge, I want to take the opportunity maybe to expose some of our listeners to your church up here and the good work that you're doing. I'm hoping that maybe there's some people down in our, you know, listening range who know folks up here. Maybe they can connect them with your church. So, yeah, um, that Jimmy, sounds good. Yeah, Jimmy. So I, uh, I was just thinking about, I have a few questions for you. Kind of do a little interview with you here on the air. Um, you know, I was thinking that I have known you, I actually haven't done the math, now I'm trying to do it off the top of my head, I've known you since I was 16 years old, so that would be 18 years ago. So we met wow. 18 years ago, and I was a brand new Christian. Like, I had become a Christian, like, I don't know, two weeks before we met, and I had asked some people at my school, because I became a Christian through some friends of mine. I had one friend in particular led me to the Lord by opening up the Bible and showing me um, some, some verses from Matthew chapter 7. Anyway, so this friend led me to the Lord, but this friend of mine, she went to a Russian-speaking church in Arvada. And so I didn't speak Russian, and so I couldn't go to her church. So I asked around at my school. None of my friends were Christians, and I asked them, hey, you know, do you guys know about any churches? And they said, you should go to this church over there uh, on 50th and Kipling called Crossroads Church of Denver. So I was just a brand new Christian looking for a church. I'd actually been to a couple other churches. Um, but when I walked in, I went on a Wednesday night to your youth group that you led. And, um, and the thing that struck me was, I was like, these are like normal people who study the Bible and follow Jesus. And I'm like, man, I... I didn't know it could be so simple, but I was so uh, glad. And I'm like, this is exactly what I need. So, yeah. So, cool. so we met at that time. I was 16 years old, and you were leading the youth group at Crossroads. And then maybe you could tell us what happened in your life since then. Yeah. that's it. Wow, Nick, that's been a long time. And, man, you're getting old. That's, I know. That's what that means. <laughs> I, I actually remember meeting you in those days, and you were just this punk snowboard kid that loved to go up to the mountains, and so we connected right out of the gates. But but yeah, you, I was at Crossroads for about six years, being the youth pastor, specifically in the high school ministry, and I would take kids up to the mountains once a month for skiing and snowboarding, just on day trips. And we more than likely always end up in Breckenridge. And each time we went up, I always felt, you know, that the the community up here needed something, you know, whether it was a pastor or a church. And and each time that we came up, that that feeling, that stirring would just become stronger and stronger. That 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 this community up here needs a pastor. And I didn't even know what that really meant at first, but. Um, I just continue just to be praying about it, because whenever God does something like that, He begins to stir you, and you don't know what it really means. You just start praying. And then, to make a long story short, one thing led to another, and, and we made the leap of faith to uh, to move up to Breckenridge, and just kind of going for it. Just felt, 
you know, at the time my boys were really young and my wife and I, we just felt like if this is God, if God is calling us up here, then he's going to provide a way, he's going to provide a job and, and uh, whatever needs to be done in order to minister to the people up here and to the tourists who come in, in the town all the time. And so uh, we came into town, we moved up, and I knew one of the things that we needed to do was was not just, you know, come into the community and pass out flyers and say we're the new church in town and to come next Sunday we're going to meet in the park or something like that. Um, for this community up here, that might work for other communities really well, but for this community up here, it needed to be something where we got into the community. And so uh, we became a part of the community before we did anything. So I got a job at a hotel. My wife started coaching uh, volleyball at the local high school, and we put the kids into uh, the elementary school up here and just uh, began to learn about the community and began to learn about the, the pulse of the community. And then out of that, we just started doing a prayer meeting, and then that led into a midweek study, which led into Sunday morning, which led into um, both Sunday morning and Wednesday night studies. And so we've been going at it, Nick, now for about, gosh, 15 years we've been up here. Wow. wow. So it goes fast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that approach that you're describing sounds a lot like what we did. You know, we were missionaries, so after... After I got out of high school, um, I had kind of a gap year, and I went on a mission trip to Hungary. And on that, I remember trip, that trip. I think you went with Sabrina, my wife, on that that's trip, right. didn't you? Yes, absolutely, yeah. I did. And um, yeah, and I met my wife on that trip. And of course, that's not why I moved to Hungary, but uh, ended up <laughs> the, one thing led to another. And yeah, and so, but you know, I was just thinking as you're describing it, you know, the way that you, you know, I don't want to get too off on the technical terms, but you call that kind of exegeting a community, you know, kind of trying yeah. to figure out what is the pulse, what is the heart, what is the unique culture of this community? How do they uniquely need the gospel? How does the gospel uniquely speak to them? And how can we bring it to them in a way that's very effective? I mean, that's what that's we right. did as missionaries. So, you know, we, we planted two churches in two very different towns in Hungary. One mm -hmm. of them was you know, kind of like if you could imagine, well, actually it's probably quite similar to Breckenridge. I, I always compare mm -hmm. it to Estes Park because that's where we live in Longmont. But um, yeah, it was a touristy town, kind of affluent community, you know, as, as affluent as you can have a community be in Eastern Europe. And then the second town we planted a church in was, it's like, you know, I don't know, 75% uh, unemployment, you know, so a completely different vibe. Yeah. And, um, wow. And you have Definitely. to approach that in a completely different way. So, Oh, yeah. absolutely. And that's just being led by the Spirit and what He wants to do in the community. And, and that comes to um, getting involved in the different aspects of the community, whether it's for up here, you know, being up on the mountain, and whether it's snowboarding and skiing, or in the summertime, mountain biking. They have great races in the summertime up here for mountain biking, or um, whether it's a CrossFit gym, or wherever the community is, we want to jump in there and uh, and love on them, and yeah. then build relationships and lead them to Jesus. That's the goal. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I was going to ask you, what do you, what would you say is unique uh, to the culture up here in Summit well, County, and how do you bring the gospel into that? Yeah, it's um, it's very transient, as you know. So we always have visitors all the time. And it's a really unique type of situation, too, because 
um, you know, we feel called. This is our um, our mission field for sure. And um, we have the world coming to us, so to speak, when they come, uh, you know, people from England or, or Italy and France and all over the world coming to our town for their winter vacation or or summer vacation too. So it's really unique in that way that we get to minister to the nations, and we don't necessarily have to have to go to them. Although that's a great thing, but um, so there's an interesting dynamic with that in regards to ministering to the tourists who are in town. Uh, you get used to up here living in a town like this. You get used to saying goodbye a lot the people that move up here, because we'll have people that will move up here just for the winter season, and they work the season just to be on the mountain. Uh, you have second homeowners who are up here a lot, and you have people um, who will maybe never come back again to our church because they're just here on vacation. And then, you know, there's this weird, I don't know what it is, but there's this two-year mark. I think we're sometimes people will come up and move into the community, and then after two years they feel like oh they've got to move back to um, civilization or or whatever to get back in and to do what they were doing previous to moving to Breckenridge, and so it's always changing in that regard the the community and the people, and so I think we've learned or continue to to learn again and again to just be faithful with whatever the Lord puts in front of us, and we're called to love on this community. Uh, in the best way that he, uh, the Lord has called us to, and it looks different from time to time, but whether people are coming or going, or all of a sudden we have a Sunday and there's a powder day, and and, no one, and half the congregation is up on the mountain, you know, we have to continue just to, just to keep going and to be steadfast and immovable, like what Paul talks about, and just loving on a community that... Um, that is uh, it's difficult at times for sure, but every ministry is difficult at times. But we found, um, you know, there's great significance in that depth of just trying to be faithful with what's in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I guess you've addressed this, but I had one more question for you, and that was, you know, what are some of the unique challenges you face, and what are some of the ways that we can be praying for you guys up here? Yeah, I think um, just with, uh, I think with people coming and going, I think that's a unique challenge that um, that we have. So it, it's hard to, at times, to, to develop uh, a core because mm. um, it's always changing. And um, I, I don't really think that it's this huge negative obstacle because the Lord always brings things together, and He's always got a, a way through it. Um, right now, he, He's um, developed a, a good core of elders that's been hanging on for a bit, and so that's been really encouraging. But um, I think the obstacles in, in the ever-changing community and, and people coming and going is is uh, is difficult, though. I mean, if I could just—it's kind of a hard question, but if I could think about it in, in a nutshell, that would be um, that would be one of them. And if I had more time, I could probably um, talk about you know others as well. But that's sure. the one that comes to mind right now. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, I want to pray for you on the mm -hmm. air. But uh, maybe before I let I do that, you could just tell us a little bit about your church. Maybe there's some people listening, and you know they know people at least within driving distance of your church, and so just maybe some info about where you meet, stuff like that. 
Yeah, that'd be great. And I know, you know, when you're up on vacation and you live in the foothills, it's always, it, it doesn't mean that you have to take the Sunday off. You should still come to church, <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're available for that. But we meet at Colorado Mountain College located in Breckenridge, and we have a 930 service. Uh, you can always get in touch with us through greatdividecalvary.org, or we have a Facebook uh, site as well, with just Great Divide Calvary Chapel. Um, you can always call us, 970-470-2877, for any information. We do have a, a midweek service that meets at a coffee shop in town called Coffee Depot, and that's at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the easiest way to get a hold of us, uh, those areas that I just listed. Awesome. Yeah, so so thanks so much for calling in. Let's go ahead and pray for you guys. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Let's pray for you. So Heavenly Father, thank you for calling Jimmy and Sabrina up here to Summit County and to Breckenridge. Lord, we know that there's a great need in the community here for people to hear the gospel. And uh, we know that there are unique challenges to being up here. So Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would grant them endurance. Um, and I thank you for that great attitude that we've heard from Jimmy today about having endurance and just being steadfast and setting your face to the plow or setting your hand to the plow and not looking back. Uh, Lord, we pray that as he does that, as he plants those seeds and he waters seeds just faithfully week in and week out by presenting the gospel and reminding people of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would be the one who causes the growth in individuals' lives. Lord, whether whether they see that here tangibly or not, maybe it's something that's you know going to sprout up and be fruit in somebody's life after they leave here. Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts in those things and give them endurance. Lord, we also pray that you would guard and protect their hearts and encourage them as they as they do have to say goodbye to so many people that that can't be an easy thing to do so lord i pray that you give them strong hearts but that they wouldn't uh, become hard or cold but that they would uh, continue to to have those open hearts towards everybody who comes in that they minister to and lord we do pray that you would give them a core of people who just absolutely feel called to be here and to be in breckenridge ministering to people in this county so lord would you uh, do that would you bring more workers into your harvest field because as we've been discussing this is a, a mission field in itself so Lord we pray all these things in Jesus name amen amen thanks so much Nick thanks for yeah, having thanks me for too. calling in Jimmy all right God bless you okay bye-bye you're listening to Calvary Live. This is the call-in show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, with your prayer requests, or things going on in your life if you'd like pastoral advice. We have all open lines right now. We just spent a couple minutes there talking to Jimmy Humphreys. He's the pastor of Great Divide Calvary here in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is where I am broadcasting from live today. So I would love to have uh, some people call in right now, wherever you're at. Maybe there's some things that uh, Jimmy talked about that you would like to go off of and hear more on or maybe um, maybe you have other questions that you would like answers to the number to call is 303-690-3000 that's 3690-3000 or you can text us at 720-336-0897 so while we're waiting for uh, calls and texts to come in I'll just share with you a little bit about um, what I've been studying and reading in the Bible uh, and what our church has been doing. So uh, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, um, we have been studying through Paul's letter. Well, I'm going to stop myself there. It's not Paul's letter to the Hebrews. It's the letter to the Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews, which is you know one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It really ties together the Old Testament and the New Testament uniquely. 
so we've been studying through that book. We go through it verse by verse every Sunday, and uh, we took a we took a break around uh, Christmas time to do some things specifically about Christmas. But now these past couple weeks, we've been uh, back in Hebrews, and it's just been so good. So this past Sunday, we were uh, studying Hebrews chapter nine, which deals with the issue of a guilty conscience, and it deals with uh, how. Only in Christ can we have our conscience cleansed from um, from what he calls an evil conscience, from what the writer calls an evil conscience, which means uh, a conscience that bothers us. Now, I was doing a little research on this, and I found out that there's this phrase, uh, there's no rest for the wicked. Maybe you've heard that phrase. I found out that phrase has been used so much in our popular culture. It's been used in everything from Little Orphan Annie comics to an Ozzy Osbourne album. And, uh, you know, this is a very common phrase. There's no rest for the wicked. Well, that phrase actually comes from the Bible. It comes from Isaiah chapter 48 and 57, where it says there is no rest for the wicked. Isaiah 57 says they are like a raging sea tossed with waves. And the more I began to think about this and study this, I realized that, you know, Hebrews talks more about the conscience than any other book of the Bible. And it, it presents it as saying, this is the issue that we have as people, is that we um, have a problem with our conscience. We have a guilty conscience. And I was just thinking, you know, maybe there are some of our, our listeners today, maybe there's some of you out there who have been struggling with having a guilty conscience. And I would just want you to know what God's Word says to you. You know, a conscience, you could put it as that... Um, it's that inner sense, that inner voice of right and wrong. It, it uh, bothers you when you know that you have done something wrong. And so how do we deal with our conscience? Well, um, you know, a lot of people in our modern society would say that the way to deal with a guilty conscience is to tell yourself that you shouldn't have a guilty conscience, right? So like no matter, even if you do feel guilty, that you should kind of just get over it and you're fine just the way you are and you should tell yourself that and look yourself in the mirror and say, don't feel bad about anything. Just do whatever you want because everybody kind of makes their own rules and standards for themselves these days in the modern world, don't they? And yet, I was thinking, on the other hand, there's more guilt in our culture today than at any other time in history. And so our culture is very confused when it comes to this topic of guilt because on the one hand, they say, you should never feel guilty. Don't let anyone impose their guilt on you. And they might say, oh, you know, guilt is a hangover from religion and we need to get over it. Uh, but on the other hand, there are more things in our society today that people want us to feel guilty about than ever before, right? Like whether it's uh, environmental things or whether it's social issues. You know, I, was, I saw a documentary on Netflix the other day, and they were talking about how the entire food industry is basically killing the environment and hurting people around the world. And so if you eat food, then you should feel guilty. You know, you should feel guilty about what your ancestors did in the past. You should feel guilty about driving a car. And even if you drive an electric car, you should feel guilty about that too, because that also hurts the environment. And it just goes on and on and on. You know, if you water your lawn, if you wash your car, if you even wash your clothes, you should feel guilty about everything. And it's just an interesting thing that, um, that our society actually has more guilt in it today than maybe at any other time in history. And yet we have no, I mean, people apart from the gospel, they have no way of dealing with their guilt other than, you know, one of the ways that we deal with it is by, we call it being a conscious consumer, for example. So like overcompensating by doing good things to compensate for the guilt that you feel so that you can feel good and you can sleep well at night. But that doesn't solve the issue. We still have so much guilt. And I was just so blessed as I read Hebrews chapter nine and taught on it yesterday at Whitefields in Longmont, um, just that. Wow, the only way it says that it is through the blood of Jesus that your conscience can actually become clean. 
Because what that means is that Jesus has taken all your guilt, everything that you ever did, he has taken it and you are truly forgiven. It's done. It's finished. And therefore, you can sleep well at night knowing that he paid the price. And for me, that was just such an encouraging word. And I hope that maybe it is for some of our listeners. Maybe there's some of you out there who have a a question about guilt. But let's go ahead and go to line one where we've got Liz in Denver. Hi, Liz. Hi, Hi, Pastor Nick. Um, Question. So I was reading in Revelations, I believe it was verse four. I'm driving, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. Talks about um, those who, that the beast didn't touch those or something like that, didn't touch those that had the seal of God on their forehead, but destroyed the rest of the people. Um, I understand the seal of God on their forehead and those that are saved. Now, because of how it's talking in its revelation, is that talking about the people that are saved after the rapture? Yeah, I'm looking for the verse that you're mentioning, um, and you said you're not sure exactly where it is. Revelation 9.4. 9-4. Yeah, see, cause that was the verse that my... Um, oh, I see. Okay, so here's what it says. I'll read you the verse. Maybe we need a little more context here, but I'll read you the verse yeah. itself. Uh, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so this is speaking, by the way, about the seventh seal. So this is speaking mm-hmm. about a time when God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. And um, and so it's saying not to harm those. Um, so basically God put a protection around certain people. Okay. And so Okay, so your question was, are these the people who were uh, saved in the rapture or the people who became believers after the rapture? Is that your question? Uh, after the rapture, yes. Did they become believers and saved after the rapture? Yeah, so if we're, if we're following a... Um, premillennial dispensational model, which obviously is what you're talking about. So that, that would be a model which um, believes in the future rapture. That, that way of looking at Revelation would say this, um, that Revelation has a chronology to it. And I think that's actually a very helpful way of seeing Revelation. And so um, if you look in all kind of, a, so the quick answer to your question is this. These are people who became Christians after the church was removed from the world in what you call okay. rapture. Okay, but now I'll give you a little bit more reason why you and then maybe this will be a tool to help you read Revelation in the future to kind of answer some of those questions. Um, So in chapter one, verse 19. So the reason why a lot of uh, what we call dispensationalists, premillennial dispensationalists read uh, Revelation um, in the chronological way is because in chapter one, verse 19, John says that he saw this sight of Jesus. Right. And so then Jesus says to him. Mm Uh, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And then he says in verse 19, Write therefore the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. So the things which you have seen, so that's the past. The things which are, that's the present. And the things which are to take place after this. And uh, that word in Greek, after this, is uh, it's um, metatauta. So after this, now I just tell you that to tell you one more thing. So basically you would look at it this way. What happens before is the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning the the vision he had of Jesus uh, that began the whole thing. That's what happened before. Then what you have in chapters two and three is uh, he's talking to churches in the present age, right? The seven Mm -hmm. churches. 
And so that's, you know, you could take that as the present age. And then he mm-hmm. says the things which take place after this. And so chapter four begins with this phrase, after this, which in Greek, meta tauta, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what make, what must take place after this. So we're going to go to break in one minute, but I think I can finish up uh, your question right here. So I'll just okay. say this, that that, uh, so chapter 1, verse 19 of Revelation is helpful in the sense that it kind of lays out a framework for reading the rest of the book. And that is okay. that there's a chronology. Chapter 1 is in the past. Chapter 2 and 3 are the present age, which is, you know, what the things that are going on in John's current okay. time. And then chapter 4 are the things which will happen after this. So the things which will happen in the future. And it begins by saying, there was a trumpet and a voice that said, come up here and I will show you what, what must take place after this. And then he says he was in heaven and there were all around him a great uh, assembly. And so we would say, those are the people, that is the church having been taken out of the world and in the presence of God. Everything happens after that is after the rapture. We're going to go to break. Thanks for your call. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. Every Monday I get to host Calvary Live and it's just a pleasure to get to talk with people uh, up and down the front range and over on the east coast and get to answer questions from the bible and to pray for people so we've got one free line right now if you'd like to call in the number is 303-690-3000 that's 303-690-3000 or you can always text us at 720-336-0897 let's go back to our call lines we've got Jacqueline on line two in glendale hi Jacqueline. hello is uh is Glendale is that Colorado? Yeah, so it's um it's like near Cherry Creek. I'm like on the uh border of Glendale and Denver. Oh, I actually do know where Glendale is now that you mention it. It's like a little tiny pocket inside of Denver, yeah. is that right? <laughs> yeah. Right on. So what's going on? Um, so I've been kind of dealing with uh I mean, I've really given my life to God in the sense that like you know, before I was a lukewarm Christian, and now, you know, God has convicted me of, like, the, the sins that I, like, you know, kept in my life, and I've thrown most of them out. Um, the ones that I'm really struggling with are internal, you know, like smoking and stuff like that I put away, and it was hard, but the internal ones are really, really hard. And um, what I've realized is that I have this, not hate, but I've realized that I get, I have a short temper sometimes with people, not like people outside of my circle, but like people that are most close to me. Um, I have like a short temper with them and it really makes me feel really guilty to the point where I don't even go to God. And, um, and then like, I have a question concerning that in the sense that like when you're reading the Psalms, um, like Psalm 139, uh, 21 uh it talks about like 
you know, David has so many psalms where he's talking about the wicked, and he's saying, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and he's, like, saying, like, um, um, like, I don't know, like, that God should slay them, and God should do this, and, and God should, you know, take them out, and we will, like, he'll just be so happy because God will take his enemies out, and you know, let their prayers not be answered, and all these different things, but then Jesus comes and says, you know, pray for thy enemies, and love your enemies, and all these different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you're wondering, like, how does that fit with um, loving your enemies? Yeah, I see your point there. Um, the thing I wanted to, I always remind people about David um, when he prays those things. I was trying to remember what those kinds of psalms are called. I'm actually trying to look it up as we speak. Um, anyway, there's, there's a name for those types of psalms. And I'm still not finding them. Okay. So anyway, yeah, there are several psalms like that, you know, where David says these things where you look at that and you're like, whoa, you know, whatever happened to forgiveness, yeah. whatever <laughs> happened to loving your neighbor, because it doesn't seem to fit. Um, it's actually, those are really, that, that brings up a really important topic about understanding the Old Testament. And uh, I'll, I'll try not to lose sight of your question as I go on that. Um, but here's here's the thing to remember is that just because David said something and it ended up in the Bible doesn't mean that uh, that was a model for us to follow. Okay, so that's the thing to remember, you know. Um, it means that he, here's what the model is for us to follow in some of that stuff is that David was just completely honest with God. And, you know, God could handle it. In fact, God wants us to be able to read that and say, okay, here's a person pouring his heart out to God and laying it on the table. But I saw, I believe, also allowing God to correct him when he was off base. You know, like, no, I I don't think that uh, we should kick in the teeth of the children, you know, or dash them against the rocks. We're going to deal with them in love. Now, I, I say that with a bit of a caveat because here's the thing, and this is really what I would want you to know about those kinds of psalms and about that type of literature in the Bible is that um, they bring up a very important tension in the Bible, See, especially in the Old Testament. See, this is the thing I think that a lot of people need to see about the Old Testament is that the Old Testament is kind of like watching the TV show Lost. I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was super frustrating because they would always bring up questions but never give you answers, right? So it'd be like, whoa, there's a polar bear on a on a, an island in the Pacific. How did that happen? And then they don't tell you. Like, they actually never told you what <laughs> the polar bear was doing on the island. And I guess my point is that this, the Old Testament is kind of like Lost. Like, it's just a lot of questions and very few answers, but it's designed to be that way. Like, for example, the book of um, Ecclesiastes. A lot of people get really kind of frustrated and confused by it because they, they, the author brings up this point that, you know, everything in life is just so, um, just so, you know, meaningless and pointless because it's all just, you know, chasing after the wind and it's all vanity. And then people want there to be a nice tied up little answer where he says, oh, but, you know, everything will be okay. Just love God and, and you know, serve God. And he says something kind of like that at the end of the book, but it's not a true answer. And I believe that that tension is intentional. It's an intentional tension. And um, I believe that the other thing that you're bringing up is another one of those intentional tensions. And here's what that is, that, um, that, that we have a God of justice. And so you have this God of justice who says, I will not let sin ever be uh, brushed under the carpet. It will always be dealt with. I am going to deal with sin 
absolutely every single time. You know, justice means giving someone what they deserve, nothing more and nothing less. And yet that same God then comes back and says that he's a God of mercy. Now, mercy by definition is to not give someone the justice which they deserve. Like, so if I deserve to get a parking ticket, but the, or a speeding ticket and the driver says, or the police officer says to me, you know what, I'm going to let you go this time. That's not necessarily justice as much as it is mercy. And so my point is to say this, throughout the Old Testament, it seems like God is, these, there's this inherent tension, which I believe is intentional. You know, on the one hand, there's justice and kill the evildoer and get the wicked. And then there's mercy. And if you really think about it, you'd have to say, well, how does this work? How can this be possible that God is both of these things at the same time because they seem to be contradictory by definition? And the answer is found in Jesus. And in Jesus, God is completely just and then also completely merciful without contradicting any of those things. And, and same with Ecclesiastes, right? Like Jesus is the answer to all the riddles that the Old Testament brings up and leaves uh, unanswered. And so here's, that would be my answer for you in that. And that would be also my encouragement for how you would view this person in your life who, you know, is an enemy or is someone who you find annoying and you're like, gosh, I just, you know, sometimes I feel like I wish that God would just dash them against the rock and kick in their teeth. But I know that, uh, that here's the thing, Jesus was dashed for that person's sins, for the things that make that person difficult to be around. Jesus took all of those things upon himself. And because he took those things, it gives you the freedom to love that person and, and love them sacrificially. So I would encourage you to do that. And to your, to your first point that you said that uh, as you become a Christian, you've laid aside many of the you know, obvious outward things. But yet as you've done that, you've come to see, wow, there are all these other things in my life that were internal. And I think that means, I just encourage you, that I think that means you're on the right track. Because you see that same model with the Apostle Paul. Where he starts out, like in Philippians, he says, I was, you know, according to the law, I was blameless. And then later on in his life, as he gets older, he keeps he starts saying these things where he says, I am the chief of sinners. So you take this guy who at one point in his life thought he was blameless. And then as he gets older, you know, you might expect that he would become even more blameless, but just the opposite. As he gets older, he becomes more and more aware that sin isn't just what you do. It's the, it's what's going on in your heart. It's what's going on in your mind. And uh, I was just talking to a brother at church yesterday and he was telling me the exact same thing uh, that you're saying right now. It's like he became a Christian not that long ago, got really serious about his faith. And as he's been going along, he realized that, man, there's so many things in his heart that he could spend. You know, God's just doing the sanctifying work in his life. And a lot of the things which used to be really big, obvious issues are no longer issues, but yet he realizes there are other things in his life that he needs to repent of and needs God to come into his life and transform him in that he didn't even realize before. So all that to say, I hope that that just encourages you. The fact that you realize that and that you're seeing that um, should be something that encourages you. Well, thank you so much, Pastor. Yeah, I'm just, um, I'm just trying to, uh, you know not get like you know i don't hate anybody i guess there was two questions like um you know why is there's this contradiction in the bible with psalms and jesus and then also like i have like i, I get like not hateful but i i get annoyed with people like 
let's say, you know, like my boyfriend is all over me and like, you know, trying to kiss me and I'm trying to like be, you know, holy and stuff. I don't know. Like it just bothers me. It, it annoys me to the point where I get mad, you know, and I have to um, just. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, uh, as as you describe it, I'm starting to get mad at your boyfriend too, actually. So <laughs> I think that it's okay to be mad. Uh, I think it's okay to be annoyed because there are a lot of things in this world that are not right. They're not perfect. People do things that are not right and not perfect. And I think that you can be angry without sinning. In fact, that's what Paul the Apostle expressly tells us to do. Be angry, but don't sin. Yeah. But angry in a just in a justified way, right? Like, you can't just be, like, angry at somebody for well, no reason or whatever. Well, absolutely. Like, Jesus was angry. Remember, he made a whip. Like, he actually made a whip. Like, imagine how much time it takes to actually weave a whip. And just imagine Jesus sitting there weaving that whip that he used then because he was so angry at these people who had turned the house of God into a, a den of thieves, as he called it. He went in there cracking the whip and flipping over tables, you know, because he was angry. But he was angry about something that also angered God. Yeah. And so um, there is absolutely a kind of righteous indignation, righteous anger, and uh, righteous annoyance, I guess you could say. In fact, I'd say if we're not angry about certain things, then there's absolutely something wrong with us. Like you, you, yeah. read, the minor, you read the minor prophets and God is angry. And part of the things that he's angry about is that his people aren't angry about the things that he's angry about. Like he's angry that the poor are not being cared for, that uh, widows are being taken advantage of. And he's angry that his people are not angry about that. And so yeah. I just want to encourage you, you can be angry without sinning. Um, so yeah, and I would just encourage you to do that. Like the things that make God upset. And here's what I would tell you that God looked at the world and he was so upset. He was so, I don't want to say annoyed, maybe discouraged, so angry in a way at what sin and the devil had done to this good creation that he came, but I want you to see how he did it. He came and he sacrificed himself in order to make those things right, in order to defeat death and the devil. I just wanted to say that, that God, God is so upset about certain things that he acted on it, but he acted on it in a way without sinning. So I would encourage you in that way. And, uh, you know, you might need the Holy Spirit to lead you in how do you, how, what does that look like in your life practically, to be annoyed or to be angry and yet not to sin? Right, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, let me pray for you, and then I'll let you go. Sure. All right, Lord, I pray for Jacqueline. I thank you that she called in today. And Lord, with these issues um, going on in her life, whatever they are, um, I pray you'd help her to discern between uh, righteous anger and indignation, uh, having the same heart that you have, and also, you know, where is the point where you are sinning when you're having certain feelings when you're letting bitterness take root in your heart and defile you and defile other people so lord please uh show her that line and lead her by your spirit i pray in jesus name amen, amen. thank you pastor absolutely thanks for calling in god bless you all right bye-bye you're listening to calvary live this is pastor nick katie from whitefields community church in longmont colorado hey i'd like to just take the opportunity and personally invite you to join us at whitefields community church in longmont if you live in the longmont area you can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com and we meet every sunday morning at the saint Vrain memorial building right at 700 longs peak avenue 
um, in downtown Longmont at 10 a.m. We'd love to have you come join us for worship and the word. Again, that's whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go to line one where we've got Dave in Littleton. Hi, Dave. Hi, Pastor Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for, thanks for holding. I know you held for a while. Sure, that's okay. That last segment was real interesting. It um, made me think of the word grace that I had to learn about a little bit. Um, grace encompasses, I, I can't even describe, I could describe grace with one word, but then there's another 30 that work for grace, too. Yep. And, you know, the Lord is, he's a guy, he knew he had to fix it, and he sent his son and fixed it. And it, and because it, he's, he's the Lord, he's got the perfect plan. He's got the plan for all of us. Like on the way home, I heard he knows our, uh, that he can count the hairs on our head. And he knows, you know, he's not, I even heard on this radio station about a year ago where the Lord is not some cyber cop waiting to bust us, yeah. you know. And yeah, that's, absolutely. I had to, I struggled with, you know, I thought, oh, I should, I need to be perfect. Oh, I need to, you know. And then you know, what's funny thing is I found out when I realized that I can't be perfect, the closer I could actually get to perfection, if that makes any sense. The closer, not being perfect, of course. I mean, I had to learn that I can't be perfect, and I have to learn about uh, repentance and forgiving. And, you know, the Lord, he's got, there's so many variables in the human race out there in this world. What about the child in Syria who grows up in a time of war? There's no God for him, or the young kid that dies or has a birth defect. If God's going to give those people a break and fix it, he's going to give, he's got to come up with a way for everyone to have a chance and opportunity. In fact, the sons of of perdition is probably the only people who will not get to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, you have to completely reject Jesus in order, or, I mean, well, I mean, it's just what you were talking in the last segment. He's made a perfect, he's made a perfect thing. Now, I've, I'm lucky enough to have learned everything at the right time when I needed to hear it. And I feel so bad for people that try to go to church, and then they're, one person says one thing, and they're, and that's it. But it's, that's like me, too, though. I used to be the biggest blamer of everybody else but myself. And then you sit down and you really analyze and take a look at it. You realize that you're probably responsible for the largest part of your problems and it's our nature to blame other people or to be even to blame god or to lash out and you know we don't want to ever take responsibility i mean i learned a lot about that when i joined the church a few years back and i i never had that before i never i never knew how to live correctly i was always running around blaming everybody and fighting this and that and chasing worldly things you know and well yeah, I mean, you know, you know, so one of the things that I was talking about earlier with um, guilt, you know, that we have this issue of guilt in our society today. There's more guilt in our society than ever. You know, one of the ways that people try to get rid of guilt and, and try to have a guilty conscience is through blame shifting, right? So saying that, you know, what mm-hmm. whatever is um, wrong with me, well, you know, and the, that's just because of what's something that somebody else did or, you know, you could go on and on. But even blame mm-hmm. shifting we're still dealing with the issue of guilt. We're still dealing with guilt, and it's only in Jesus, the Bible says, that we can actually have the solution for a guilty conscience. So, yeah, Dave, what was it? Uh, I saw that my uh, producer here wrote me that you had some 
thoughts about guilt? What, what was that? Yeah, guilt is like, about? well, like I said, we're, you need to learn, you have to, we're responsible for our own salvation. You have to police yourself. You have to look at, but you also can overdo it. You can also be like, you can also just be so down on yourself or, you know, because, I mean, uh, well, Dave, especially I mean, when I you would, learn that any just, sin uh, is sin, and, and it equals almost, all sin equals, well, I mean, the, personally, I mean, come on, if you murder someone, he stepped over the line. But if you're road raging, that's going to happen. But you can get down on yourself because you see, you view yourself as such a sinner. And then if you've been taught, like, that this that God's going to get you, you know, for what you're doing, then you forget about repentance, or you don't look at the salvation or the plan that Christ had, that, well, you know, Christ performed. You can easily get, you get trapped in the world. This is called the devil's playground for nothing. Well, yeah, get, I'll just cut you off real so, quick. I just want to tell you that, uh, I mean, I don't know, that phrase that uh, you're responsible for your own salvation, it's certainly not a phrase I would use. I would, I would want to really emphasize to people that that is actually what makes Christianity unique. Whereas every other religion in the world, every other philosophy will tell you that you are responsible for your own salvation. Christianity uniquely says, and and maybe it's just mincing word or you know uh, splitting hairs that we're doing here and um, sure. that. But I I would want all of our listeners to know this that this is what makes Christianity unique, is that Christianity says that you are not responsible for your own salvation, but in fact Jesus Christ. Uh, has done it for you. So it's not what you have to do, and it's not what you uh, you know, mustn't do, but it's about what Jesus Christ did for you. And when you receive that, when you embrace that, and when mm-hmm. the Spirit of God takes up residence in you because you become a child of God, that is when He begins to work uh, in your life and transform you from the inside out. So I think that's an important... And, uh, and, yeah, um, and I was just point. referring to things like, like, like if you know you're... If you haven't been reading your scriptures lately, you know you're that's making you weak. Or if you're skipping church, or if you're not tidying, or if you're not going and doing, you know, you gotta, it's, you have to kind of police yourself somewhat. You're, you're responsible. Yeah, well, In some ways, one you, of the, one of the reasons why who's going to tell you to go to, to church if you're a single person like me? I can make up my mind not to go if I want to. But when I know that I need to go, or I need to do, that's policing yourself, that's being responsible. That's what I meant, kind of. You have to do certain things. Yeah, you Dave, don't, you would, know, you don't have that's... to, but it's you know what you got to do to stay close to the Lord. Yeah, you know you can't say I love Jesus, but then I'll see you guys in two years. I'm going to go do my thing. Yeah, you and know? you know, and I would say that that's one of the reasons why I often um, will emphasize to people. You know, you, you're mentioning policing yourself. I think it is important that we um, that we, you know do that in the sense of we be walking with God and seeking, okay, God, what are the things that I can do to do what Galatians calls sowing to the Spirit, which means, um, you know, doing those things which will lead to good fruit in my life, you know? You can sow junk or you can sow good seeds and good water. And if you sow junk, you're going to reap a lot of junk. And if you sow good seeds, you're going to reap you know, good fruit. And so that's one of the things that Galatians chapter six talks about. It's very important, uh, you know, whether it's reading the scriptures or being in fellowship. But I would also say to our listeners listening that I would want them, that's one of the great benefits to being in a church. And so I would want all of our listeners to know that that is an integral part of walking with God and being a Christian. It's not meant to be the kind of thing that you do as a lone ranger, or even as a lone family. 
I would want you to be in fellowship with other people and uh, in serving in the church community, uh, going to church, serving in church. And, you know, one of the things that happens when you're in a church community is that other people hold you accountable. And I've heard it said that everybody likes the idea of community until it requires something of them or until uh, it, you know, does something in their life that it imposes on their, you know, individuality. And so I, I think, though, that that's one of the great benefits of Christian community and the church, that you have other people who you are welcoming into your life to speak into your life, to keep you accountable. And I know for some people that's a little bit scary. And, and you know, certainly it can be abused, but it doesn't have to be. And, and I don't think that if people are walking with God that it will be. So, but you still isolation is bad. Is bad. The adversary wants to isolate you if he can. I've experienced that. Hey, Dave, I'm going to let you go because we're coming up on the end of the show, and I've got some text messages that I'd like to respond to. So, hey, thank you so much for calling hey. in, and God thank bless you. Thank you. I love your show. Awesome. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And we are coming up on the last five minutes of the show. We might have time for one more call. If anyone would like to call in, the number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. So I'll just go ahead and go over to the text line real quick. We've gotten a couple of good texts that have come in through the show. I have one, uh, one caller or I guess they're a listener, who wrote in asking, what is your feeling on 1 John 1 verse 9? Do we have to confess every sin? And if so, who do we need to confess to? To God, to the pastor, to our spouse, the cab driver? What about sins committed that no one may be aware of? So I just want to read you 1 John 1 9 for some context, and then I'll respond to that. It's a very good question. So here's what 1 John 1 9 says. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, on the other hand, we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So Whitefields, actually, interestingly, in our men's Bible study, uh, we were just studying 1 John chapters 1 and 2 this past uh, Thursday. And so I actually just had this conversation with some of the men from our church. And um, so this, well, the thing that you got to understand about First John is that it's drawing a contrast. It's drawing a contrast between these people. You know, the underlying thing with this book is that it was written to combat a heresy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a form of dualism. And what dualism means is it means that they viewed that there's a very big distinction between the spiritual and the physical. And they would say that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. And, you know, the body, flesh is corrupt. And, and therefore, they actually believe that Jesus didn't even come in a physical body because they believe that physical bodies are corrupt. And therefore, you know, how could deity take on flesh? That would just be, you know, in, un, incomprehensible. It would be you know, unimaginable. And so uh, the writer is writing, First John, he's writing to these people saying, no, 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 look, Jesus did take on human flesh. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. And, and here's the point, though, of what these people are doing. They were going out and they felt that, you know, because the flesh is corrupt, that means that we have the license to sin. You know, we've got a 
we've got a license. We can go out and sin all we want, and there's no repercussions. And throughout this letter, First John, he's speaking to these people, and he's saying, no, hey, you know what the deal is? If you go on sinning, and you're practicing sin, that's the word he uses over and over, practicing, continually sinning, meaning kind of like how you practice your golf swing, or you get up in the morning, you know, excited to do better than you did the day before at sinning. You know, in that sense, he's saying, if that is how you live, then you're probably not a Christian. And you really need to question if you are in the faith at all, because if that's how you're living, you're probably not. And so throughout this letter, he is making really black and white, you know, big distinctions, you know, light and darkness, good and evil, you know. Um, yeah, and so that's, that's just one of those places where he's making a huge distinction. If we confess our sins, but then he says, if on the other hand, if we say we have no sins, I just want you to see this. He's equating uh, confessing your sin with acknowledging your sin. And he's confessing, you know, saying that you have no sin is, with denying the fact that you're a sinner. So really, I think what he's talking about here in 1 John 1, 9 is acknowledging that you are a sinner. Now, you know, brings up the question, do we have to confess every sin? And what if we forget one? Like, what if I am, uh, you know, the way that I die is I fall down a set of stairs and midair, right before I hit the ground and die, I have a bad thought or I have uh, a say a bad word and then I hit the ground and I didn't have time in the air to say, God, I'm sorry for what I just did. Then what, will ha what happens to me? Does that mean that I go to hell? Does it mean that I uh, have you know, sinned and I'm not going to be forgiven? And my answer would be no. I believe that Jesus has died and he has been the propitiation for your sins, past, present, and future because God is outside of time. Now, on the other hand, if you have received the gospel, if you have been born again, it will absolutely be characterized by confessing your sin, first of all to God, but not only to God. Um, and I don't think it necessarily has to be to a pastor or a spouse or a cab driver, but I think that uh, this is something the Bible tells us to do, confessing your sins to one another. You know, it's like mold. Mold grows really well in the right conditions, and those conditions are the dark. But if you bring in light, you know what light does? It, it kills mold. And mold is a picture of sin. So you bring those sinful deeds, those deeds of darkness, into the light, and it takes away their power. I hope that answers your question. Uh, you've been listening to Calvary Live. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, I will be with you again next Monday, but you can tune in to Calvary Live every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. God bless you, and I hope you have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.